0: Hello and welcome to the Talking Law podcast, the podcast where you can hear barristers, judges, solicitors, managing partners and more, talk about their careers and lives in law. I'm Sally Penny MBE, I'm a barrister at Kenworthy's Chambers in Manchester, and I am the founder of Women in the Law UK. Today I'm delighted to be interviewing on Talking Law, Nicola Williams. Nicola describes herself as the overachieving child of immigrants, and she certainly has the accolades to back that up. As well as being a part-time crime court judge, as a recorder, a non-executive director, and one of the 100 most influential black people in the UK. Nicola is also an author whose latest book, Until Proven Innocent, was published in early 2023 by Penguin. Uh, when we spoke, I interviewed her and really wanted to go back to the beginning before all of the successes to find out why a career in law appealed to Nicola.
1: I always knew that I wanted to go to university. The question was what to study. I also came from a family that really, really actively prized and pushed education. So it wasn't that myself and my brothers were hothoused, but it was just an expectation that we were going to go into university. Uh, but I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do. Um, at one point when I was doing my A-levels, I was doing all languages and I wanted to um, go to the uh, UN as a translator. Um, yes. And then, yeah, I really, really wanted to to do that. Actually, I've just come back from a holiday in the States and we were staying right next to the UN building. So that was really quite nice. <laughs> um, uh, but then I... I but then I found that I like to debate. I'm actually much more of a natural introvert than people think. And, but I found that I could speak up for other people and I could debate on behalf of somebody else. So I thought law would be also a very good general purpose all round degree to do. And then I could work out what I wanted to do after that. And then once I started doing law, I I, I really fell in love with it. I, I think from the fir- in the first year I applied to go to the bar and the bar was really what I wanted to go to. I mean, no disrespect to solicitors, but I really wanted to be a barrister. And uh, I sort of fell in love with the law after I'd started my law degree and then the rest is history.
0: Wow. <laughs> and might I ask you, I suppose, um, what, what was it like when you were called to the bar? Because I think you and I are members of the same inn. Um, I,
1: no, I think, are you Greys? I think. Yeah.
0: No, I'm Lincoln's. Oh uh, well, this interview yes. must stop right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, um, <laughs> Realise there, there it, you can find out more about Nicola Williams. No, I, I'm joking, but um, what what was it like when you were called by Lincoln's? Because Lincoln's Inn tends to be the inn that people joined with a more international background, if I may say so. Certainly, yes. my era.
1: It, I, I, I think definitely at the time that was the case, but honestly. The only reason why I went, because it, you know, they were, as far as I was concerned, they were all equal. I knew from my father and his cohort of of people that came to the UK in the sixties. A lot of them came to study law, and and. Uh, most of them came to study law to be barristers and so went to lincoln's inn but certainly when i was studying my my degree most of the people wanted. well actually there was a stronger affiliation with middle temple but the reason why i went to lincoln's was because i have a cousin who is round about my age she's like she's there's only 11 months difference in our age and she what she went to lincoln's and that was the reason why i went that really was it there wasn't any other reason other than that
0: Yes. Well, as a black woman, I know one mm-hmm. we can't see I, I'm black, you're black. There are many yeah. of us, or certainly there are many of you, and I can probably count um the number of um su- successful senior um mm-hmm. women of color su- colour in leadership roles um mm-hmm. in the profession, whether on the bench or in, in at the bar. And mm-hmm. so I wondered what it was it like when you uh with our characteristics when you yes. came to the bar were there many black women you know from afro-caribbean heritage um you know what was it like was there kind of barriers
1: how, how yeah, was it uh, well i have to say I, I still think that there are barriers now but absolutely yeah. i mean i was called to the bar in the 80s so um it, it wasn't as if i was called, you know if you speak to people who were called to the bar like in the 60s when they were literally like the only one in the classroom the only one in the library the only one in chambers yeah. i mean those are oh well you could even get into chambers that was why they're so called or rather pejoratively named ghetto chambers why that phrase came up is because people couldn't get taken on into other chambers and congregated and form their own chambers I always hate that word but that yes, was how to referred to um but but you know I, I, I was I was called in the mid-80s and uh then yes there were people there were certainly people that were my cohort at um at um, bar school that were black and went into the profession but I think really that the, the the litmus test was not so much who got called to the bar, but who stayed at the bar I, I really think it was that who got pupillage, who then managed to endure, you know, the early days, particularly if you do publicly funded work, how difficult that can be. Um, getting instructions, staying on in the good side of clerks, who managed to do all of that. Um, it, so I, I think that's what um, made it. Uh, yeah, it, it, it was challenging. There's no doubt about that. Um, as an example, where I did my first, I, I did my pupillage in two different sets of chambers. Um, and I did the first six at a, a, a almost entirely. In fact, it was, yeah, it wasn't all civil set because I wanted to have a mixed civil and criminal practice and they did a lot of heavy duty civil work and myself and another um, black female uh, tenant, pupil were the first black pupils that set of chambers had ever taken on. And we're not talking about a million years ago, you know, the yeah. first ones they ever taken on. And in fact, to show how undiverse it was apart from it being an all-white set of chambers the first woman tenant that they'd ever taken on was only taken on as a tenant the year before myself and this other girl were taken on as pupils so that really shows you where where it where it was and then my second six was a mixed civil and crime but but much more on the crime you know when you're on your feet and you're going to the magistrates court and that was yes. uh, for the time Uh, considered to be an extremely diverse set of chambers which now would be normal but at the time that was really like out there because they had you know people right across the racial spectrum that were there um, good balance of men and women um, at the senior end as well as the junior end and that was really considered quite groundbreaking even though now it would be what we would call normal so Yeah. yeah yes
0: It's so, so interesting. Mm. And I notice on your list of many achievements, you're like a serious high
1: achiever. (laughs) I always describe myself as the overachieving child of immigrants. And and (laughs) I'm proud of all of those things. I am an overachiever and I'm not ashamed of that. And I am a child of immigrants and I'm very, very proud of that. I think there is such a thing as the immigrant drive. And uh, yeah, so I'm very proud of all those things.
0: Well, f- fantastic. So am I. But mm-hmm. you mentioned you're a, a, a recorder, which is because this podcast attracts an international audience, mm-hmm. uh, is a part time um, judge. It's a baby judge. I I yes. often uh, uh, say that. Uh, and when when one sits, I, I interviewed a um, court of appeal judge recently for a mm-hmm. professional a legal magazine. And one of the things we talked about was confidence. So I wondered when, where did you get the confidence to apply to be a recorder? Because you've actually been a recorder, a part-time judge for a very long time.
1: Yeah, I've been this year, I think this March was 13 years, I think. I remember actually, sadly, it it sort of coincides. It's a bittersweet time for me because it coincided with the time that my dad died. Um, ah. I say that because, um, I knew he was always hugely proud of me and he would cut out the Times law reports and say them for me and everything. Um, but I, I remember, in fact, I spoke to him. I was in the Cayman Islands at the time on another job, which I suppose will come up later in this podcast, but yes. I, I was there and I remember one of the last, uh, uh, and I was coming back to do my, you, you know you had to do your week residential course yeah so i would gotten through all the judges exams he knew that he knew that I'd gotten it he he was quite ill at the time but he he knew that I'd gotten through that and the only thing I had to do was uh my residential weeks course and and that last conversation was very encouraging he said he's still cutting out the law reports for me and all the rest of it and then sadly quite soon after that someone rang me and told me that he had he had died um yeah. and uh and then the decision I had to make was if I was going to actually come back and do the the course. Yes. And, and I I spoke to, I don't know if he still runs it, but I, I spoke to the chap who, who ran the course and he was actually incredibly nice. He really, really was when I was at six and sevens and not knowing if I should do it or not. And he said something which was actually true. He said, you know, he said two things. He said, we don't know when we're next going to run this. It might not be for another three or four years. That's one. And then he said, you know, your father... He probably, from what you've said about him, he probably would have wanted you to do it, and he was right. He would have wanted me to do it. There's no question about that. But it was difficult. It was very surreal. But people were very kind to me. All, all the clearly, all the all the lecturers had been told. They kind of softballed me some questions, and uh, you know, we still had the tests and everything. But it was more rigorous with other people, I think. And yeah. Um, yeah, I, I always remember it as a kind of bittersweet time, but I know he would have been in he he was incredibly proud when I showed him the the you know, the queen has to sign off the list and everything. So uh, when when he saw that and I know he would have been very proud to see me being sworn in. I know that. So yes,
0: which is wonderful, which is wonderful. But the question I asked was, how did you have the confidence to apply? Because we one of these.
1: Is- okay. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. And this probably will, when you hear about at least one of my favorite books, um, you'll, you'll know why I say this. Um, I think despite being an introvert, which I really am, people don't believe it, but I am. Yeah. I, I really like it. I really relish a challenge. And I am ambitious. And and I thought, well, I could, you know, Sally, you and I both know that, you know, if you go into court often enough, you see a wide range of judges, both Recorders and full timers and a wide range of judicial skills, and then you realise, well, you know, if so and so can do it, I think I can do it. Um, yeah. So I had that sort of kind of ballsy self confidence in my intellectual ability to do it, and yes. and I and I do like a challenge. I really don't like the idea of anything beating me at all. That's mm. a good thing or a bad thing, but that's really what it is. But but it doesn't mean that you don't get the wobbles every so often. I mean, after I'd gotten through all the exams the five stage process, because I think I was either my cohort or the cohort just before me were the first ones to do that proper exam process rather than it being a tap on the shoulder. Um, so I think once you get through that, you know that, well, you know, I've been blooded, if you like. I I I, I have been tried and tested and uh, appointed and I can do this, as opposed to perhaps if someone in the, the old fashioned way, which was not very transparent, I mean, if anybody should have doubts about their ability, perhaps it should be some of those people, although some of those people are, are some of the finest judges I've ever come across as well. So I think it was that. But the fir- the very first case I heard that was a very mm-hmm. nerve wracking. Um, every so often I still get that. I don't mm-hmm. think that sense of nervousness really goes away. And I think yeah. you should be a bit worried if it if it does go away completely, because then I think you're a bit blasé if it does.
0: Yes, quite. I mean, I, I agree with you. I I I often think that, um, mm-hmm. that's sort of. Uh, uh, I think I'm an adrenaline junkie.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I don't, I don't say that because I've completed a marathon recently. Yeah, I, I know that feeling. Uh, of of going there. Now, I want to talk about books because I'm yes. women in the law. We've got a book club. You're up to come up on it. We can't wait. Okay, but you, you, two books. Mm-hmm. published by Penguin. I mean, they've even yes. got a proper publisher. I'm like, where's <laughs> <in> this? <laughs>
1: Crikey,
0: I'm nowhere near. And <laughs> so tell me your first book, which I've read. It is great. I don't want to give too much away because I want people Thank to um, read it. It's called Without Prejudice by Nicola Williams.
1: Thank you. How
0: did that come about? And then you backseat like a major global publisher too.
1: That is a story. It really is. I will honestly say there are things, particularly around my writing, there are things that happened around that, that with the best will in the world, the best, all the best planning, I couldn't have made happen. So Without Prejudice, that was actually first published in 1990, late July 1997. And then it was republished in uh, February twenty-one. And yes. uh, the first, the first time it was, it was oh my gosh! All right, this is the speeded through Cliff Notes version because it really, even telling it, it sounds a bit sort of fantastical to me. I was doing a long and quite difficult in terms of the people I was co-defending with um, civil case outside of London, and I, would, I was traveling up there every day. And you know, I was sticking to it, and I'm glad I did because it, it actually, when it eventually paid, it did pay quite well. But um, it, it was trying in lots of different ways. But uh, back then, I was a Cosmo reader. So I was reading Cosmopolitan, and I saw that they had the Women of Achievement Award. And I thought, well, you know, I could do this. But then I thought, well, I don't really want to ask anybody to, I feel a bit shy about asking people to put me forward so i thought well all right i'll put myself forward so if it doesn't if it doesn't work out no one's going to know and if it does work out that would be great so i nominated myself in the professions category then i didn't hear anything for months and then i got um a, a letter saying i was down to the last 100 in the professions category then i didn't hear anything for ages and then i was invited to come to the dorchester where they're going to make the the prizes in each category mm-hmm. and I, I, at, at one point, I was thinking, well, I'm not really sure I can come because of work and everything. But I was saying, I should have realized this. Oh, no, you really must come. You really must come. Um, anyway, I, I I went there and my category was one of the last ones to be announced. And um, it was actually um, Helena Kennedy that announced the, the winner. It was all the professions, not just a legal profession. And she started yeah. off by saying, and the person who's won this is a member of my own profession. And then my name was announced. I did not have a clue before that. I really didn't. Nobody tipped the wink to me, nothing. So I was shell shocked as I walked up to the stage to get my prize. So so there was that. And then whilst I was there, uh, somebody who was making uh, she, a, a woman approached me and said she was making a documentary about barristers and asked me whether I would want to be in it. So I said, yeah. well, yes. And then that took about a year and a bit. So fast forward later that came out I don't even know how to find it now if I was looking for on YouTube or something but it came up it was me and two other male barristers and in the meantime I was I'd started writing but I didn't I was in full-time practice I didn't want to tell my clerks I didn't want to didn't even want to tell members of my family because you think you've got a book inside you and I do believe um, most people have at least one book inside them but getting it from inside you onto a page and someone taking you seriously is, is a completely different thing so I was writing away quietly and then I got a letter from a literary agent saying they were just like surfing the channels and they happened to come across my 20 minute segment in this program. And they said, I think you've got a book in you. If you've been approached by other people, please ignore this. But if you haven't, please come and talk to us. Wow! So I thought, wow, this is, this is it. <laughs> so, yeah. so I went and I, and I met them and I signed with them, but like in all, all interesting tales, it didn't really work out the way that I thought, because ultimately they wanted me to write a different kind of book. They wanted me to write a sort of sex and shopping, Jackie Collins legal <laughs> novel. And, and I didn't want to write that. So we parted ways and I, I didn't know what to do then. So all I did, I just looked at all the spines of the books that I, I used to read a lot of legal fiction back then. And I just sent it off to um, different publishers. And it, one of them was um, Headline, uh, which is an imprint for Hodder and Stoughton. And it had actually gone in, because it was submitted not by an agent, it had actually gone yes. into the slush pile and someone fished it out of the slush pile and put it on the desk of one of the editors and said, I think you should read this because I think it's really good. And that was how I got my deal initially with um Headline. And then... Wow. Uh, I, that was it. That was how it happened. And then I but believe it or not, despite all of that, I actually because I was still in full time private practice. And, you know, you're sort of you're hustling, you're grinding, you've still got your practice to 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 keep yes. up. And um I started I, I, I was writing between midnight and four in the morning. That was how I finished that book. And then uh, I but then I started to have sort of doubts about whether or not I could do it again. And as a result, I had a two book deal with a um, headline, which I didn't fulfill because I never did the second book. I had a real sort of crisis of confidence. And I didn't write for a very, 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 very long time after that. And then fast forward to just before the first lockdown, probably early 2020. I was invited actually by by someone who I think is a mutual friend on on. On a WhatsApp group that we're currently on, um, yeah. I was, I was in. I was invited. Susan and I, I was invited by her to um, go to. She worked round the corner for me when I was the ombudsman uh, for the UK Armed Forces. She worked round the corner for me, and she'd invited me. She's very quiet, but she also has her ear to the ground, and she invited me to an, an event at Slaughter and May's, and uh, and I thought it was the women barristers. Sorry, the women senior partners having a book club and I really didn't want to go for lots of different reasons. I really did, not nothing to do with Susan. And in fact, it was because it was her, that was the reason why I pushed myself to go. So I arrived and this was like no book club that I'd ever heard of. First of all, they had piles of books from Bernadine Evaristo, Mallory Blackman, Diana Evans and Louise Doughty. And there are all these piles of books on, on the table. And then I looked around and there were people serving Prosecco and very nice nibbles. And, and <laughs> it was a top floor of Slaughter and Base. I thought, well, OK, well, this is a book club with a difference or maybe I've misunderstood. And then yeah, I, I, I want to yeah. go to this book club. It sounds yeah, great. I, I think I think I misunderstood it. But I mean, <laughs> the, the senior women partners were there. But I think I, I certainly it wasn't like anything I'd ever been to. And then um, Bernadine Evaristo spotted me. And oh I, only her, I, I only knew her because I then realized that not only were the books there, but the authors were there as well. So uh, Bernadine Everest, because she's tall like me, I mean, she spotted me. And I, and I I only knew her as someone who read her work. I didn't know her as a friend or anything like that beforehand. And she clearly has a good memory for faces because she said, I know you don't. I?" And I said, no, I don't think you do. She said, yeah you wrote that book ages ago that that sort of legal crime book didn't you and I said yes and she said what happened why didn't you write another one and I just looked a bit shamefaced and I said well you know life got in the way I kind of lost faith in myself and she just looked at me really quite sort of quizzically she said that's a shame I thought it was really good and that was it and then uh, in the meantime I have decided I was going to start writing again Um, you know i just had an idea it was burning a hole in my brain and I just had to get it on paper even if no one read it I had to do it and then we had the lockdown of course which meant that I I would use my commuting time to write but you know I thought that was a lovely encounter from Bernardine the encouragement for me but um, nothing more than that then she won the booker and then about three to five months after that I got a call from a very, very persistent caller from a withheld number. And normally I don't answer those. I just let them go to voicemail and they wouldn't leave a message. They kept calling. So eventually I just answered and was rather ungracious, I think, when I answered. And the person said, oh, you don't know me, but my name is Hannah and I'm calling from Penguin. And Bernadine wants to um, get to have your book and five other books reprinted as part of the um, Great Britain Writing Black series uh, because yes. these are books from the last century from 1900 to 1999 that she felt should have had more um, attention than they did which is yes. not to say I didn't have attention the first time around I I did I'm not in any way shape or form criticizing Hodder Headline or anything like that I think in many ways perhaps it was the book ahead of its time I think because this is 1997 yeah. when it came out you know a lot had changed in terms of the legal landscape the willingness to hear certain types of stories sadly george floyd and i think that did have an impact too um anyway yes. um so so th- they approached me about that and i'm like yes because i'm writing anyway and this will be great you know um and so i said yes so that book comes out in uh march 21 sorry february 21 and then um and then shortly after and which actually was received really well bearing in mind how, how old it was or how long ago I'd written it and that people thought it was very topical still um and it then, was
0: I, I read it as like if it was a new book I must admit yeah it's lockdown so it's good yeah. you, you ahead of your time
1: and and I think that was probably the reason why although you know I, I it, it did sell first time around I mean I had a U.S. publisher and all the rest of it, as well as a U.K. publisher, but I definitely think it was it was a book whose idea at the time had come for it, um, the second time around. So it, it came out; it was well received again, and and in and then um, Penguin republished it. And uh, at that point, I then had an agent. I didn't have an agent the first time around with, without prejudice, but by now I did. And my agent said, "Well, you know, she is writing." another one because once i've started i thought i'm just going to go now i'm just going to keep going and they (laughs) wanted they wanted to have a look at it and um the rest is history i guess wow yes i have a two book deal with penguin so
0: Oh, Amazing. I mean, it's it's Thank fantastic. You. And I'm so thrilled mm-hmm. because actually it's also meant, you know, Stormzy and uh, Murky Books yes. um, is actually supporting black authors because it's not, you know, I think it's something like only 2% of Authors are actually black. And whilst it
1: is as small as that, oh my God, I think it
0: is. Because, um, last well, not not last year, um, just post pandemic, I think it was, Mm. I I was, um, I I won an award for professional services. And and at that, there were several authors. It was run by Fluke Precious Mm. Awards, uh, which you might be familiar with, and um. The presenters were very keen to get people to not only support authors um, like us, but actually Mm -hmm. review the books. And I looked, yeah, I looked at that uh, uh, statistic. So it's great what everybody's doing. And of course, it's pointless writing books from minority authors or anybody if nobody reads
1: them. That's always. Absolutely. I've always been. I've always said, I, I, you, you never know how your book is going to be received when you write it. And there are some brilliant books that a lot of people don't get to read. But as far as I'm concerned, I do think it is possible to write a book that is well-written and commercially successful. And that is definitely what I aim to do. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: But just before I move on to my next question, can I ask you to tell us briefly mm-hmm. what is Until Proven About?
1: Okay, Until Proven Innocent is sort of the flip side of, as you know, um, uh, Sally, the, bar- the typical, the Barristers' Dinner Party question, how can you represent someone you know is guilty? And that was the impetus that, that led to me writing Without Prejudice. Until Proven Innocent is the flip side of that, which how can you represent someone who everyone else thinks is guilty, has been accused of an absolutely heinous crime, and is a really nasty, horrible individual that doesn't suddenly see the light is a really horrible individual. And mm. despite all of that, maybe, just maybe they didn't do it. And so this is a, a um police officer who is accused of shooting uh, a, a, a black teenager in the in the face. And um but his father's a pastor and there's all these sort of different issues around um those sort of ethical questions that barristers have to face. And did yeah. he do it, did he not do it, that that kind of thing. So that was that's the impetus behind it. It also deals with other issues like gentrification of areas and such that nice side issues like that. So, so yes. that that is it.
0: Wow. Well, um, I I haven't got that. I think I pre-ordered it, so I'm wait I'm waiting, but I'm excited to read it, and I'm mm-hmm. looking forward to you joining um, us in the Women in the Law uh, w- uh, book club because we always invite. Like- so it'll be wonderful um, I, I can honestly
1: say to people and you know it might sound immodest but I do believe it's true if you like Without Prejudice you really like Until Proven Innocent because I've had an extra 25 years to hone my craft <laughs> I, yeah.
0: love yeah. I love it yeah. I love well whilst we're on books yes. what's your favourite book and why? And if I may, yes, uh, I'll you a follow up question about, you know, who's your favourite fictional character? So firstly, what's your favourite book? And Marianne, I know I'm restricting you to
1: one. I'll let you have two. <laughs> push. I, I, I honestly look, I, I'm just looking at my books on my bookshelves right now. I cannot be restricted to even if I just think that of of like fairly recent books. I can't be restricted to what, so. May I have a fiction and a non-fiction? Well, no, actually, they're both non-fiction. Um, all right, can I have two? Because of, for two different reasons.
0: All right, as as this isn't Desert Island dist, am I yes. I'm feeling generous. It must be the marathons affected my brain.
1: There you go. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, the 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 first book is one that I had sort of reference when I talked about being ambitious. It's a book that I read. I mean, it's probably about 20 years old now, but it's a book that I do keep going back to because it really resonates with me. It's called Ethical Ambition, and it's by uh, a professor, a Harvard um, law professor called Derek Bell. I'm Come to think of it, he might have passed now, but I think he was like, the, the first black professor to be appointed to Harvard. And then there was some issue about the appointment of another um, black, professor, longer after he came, a woman. And I think the attitude, according to him, I'm not saying it was true, because I don't want anyone to sue me, um, that it seemed as if, you know, we've got our one minority, we don't need another one. And he resigned his post. So it was all about ethical ambition, how you can keep your ethics and still be ambitious. So that is why I keep coming back to that. And the other one is from the person that everybody likes, Michelle Obama becoming I yes. thought that was absolutely an amazing book. Um, I, I've got her latest one, but I haven't read it yet. Um, but I just think in, 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 in what it says about her and how she's navigated certain things and her outlook on the world. And I, I just, yeah, I mean at the risk of sound a bit like a fangirl if I talk about her too much but yes uh, those those two books I mean honestly I could I could do a whole list a whole list like I love Shakespeare and I started off reading Shakespeare that is still my love when my mum came to this country um they had uh, she read Shakespeare when she was pregnant with me and she said that's the reason why I like it um so uh, so, but those two, and thank you for allowing me an extra one.
0: So. Yes, and I tie generous for now. And wow. then tell me, um, you know, as I'm looking at you visually, you look quite glamorous, mm-hmm. you know, your hair's down, you've got your yeah. glasses on, yeah. very tidy office. Um, mm-hmm. You know, what's your favorite fictional character? Now, you
1: know, legal character, oh, I mean. Oh, God. Uh, um, well, I, 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 I was going to ask for two, but all right, this time I'll just, just stick with one, actually. Um, I think it's funny, it's changed over the years. Um, but I think if you're talking about recently, a one that I like, it would be um, Diane Lockhart from The Good Wife and then The Good Fight, which is, yes. again, somebody. And I think it's probably, you know, she's a mature woman but she's very bright. She's, she's at the top of her game. She always looks great too. And, and, yeah. and, and, and she deals with like tricky ethical issues. And, and I really like, she's like the, the conscience of her firm in many ways. And yes. you've just seen her different iterations about when she was at her original firm. And then when she went to the firm that um Delroy Lindo was running and you know that all of that and and I just I also think that series is extremely well written anyway and I think it's really nice to see and I suppose you know as I get older I'm probably looking at the the way that um parts for like women over 40 are drawn and it's really nice to see somebody who's not a a caricature or or anything like that so so I, I so that's the reason I mean if you if you if you were going to let me have another one I would say she she is a lawyer but not a lawyer so I would say um Olivia Pope from Scandal uh because I just think that's also a very interesting uh role and I did have the um the good fortune to meet the real person of, of on whom that no was. I did what? yeah I did and, and now I'm trying to remember the the, the woman's <laughs> I nearly swore but the woman I, I was trying to remember like, oh my gosh She really is based on a real person. I did meet her. It was at a conference in the States and um, she was surprising. I I think she's somebody who probably because of the work that she's done, she likes to keep a low profile. But then she came. She spoke. It was a very high end legal conference. And so she came and and it was actually in Washington. So that's probably the reason why she spoke. Um, But she was also very impressive. So, yeah.
0: That's just amazing. And of course, the series Scandal, which is a fantastic series, I also yeah. watched and loved it. And I didn't watch yeah. much time. Um yeah. it
1: was it's also movie. very, very well written as well. I love yes, it is. It. well-written well, dramas. I love to see it.
0: Yeah. So that I was going to say, brilliantly written by um Shonda Rhimes, yes. who of course deliberately writes characters for black women well and yes. all backgrounds really she of course grew uh, wrote Grey's Anatomy which showcased yes. you know uh, the diverseness uh, yes. of America and I think yeah. she's
1: behind Bridgerton as well I, behind Bridgerton. Or not, I've never actually seen Bridgerton but I know she's I think she's behind it in some way
0: yes well you should because um there were of course books so i've read the books and i've seen one or i think the first series mm. but um yeah I, I think it's it's really great and it's mm. important for authors to write part of course for um you know actors of all characteristics of so they didn't even go to the state so no pressure nicola
1: um well you well, <laughs> know there is actually and i think this this is known so i can say this there is there is some TV interest in, uh, or, or let's say, the screen rights have been optioned for Without Prejudice. Wow! Oh, I yeah. can't,
0: I can't wait now yeah. because we started talking about Bridgerton, and um, you know. Actors and so on. Um, mm-hmm. lawyers, or well, those are the bar likers as well. We yes. love the theater. you know, I yes. sit on a, a theater board. and um, and so I wondered, what do you do for your well-being, you know, to kind of look after yourself, um, because you look great. I mean, you don't know how old you, are. you
1: <laughs> I'm old enough to, to tell anybody. You don't, to tell, you
0: don't have to tell anybody, people tell me yeah. this between us, yeah. but not on here. I just yeah. wondered how you look after yourself because let's face it, you know, well be the bar. We've got better at well-being. We talk yeah. about it, law care doing great things, but the truth mm-hmm. is it's still long hours, it's still yeah early starts. So how do you look after your own well-being or how would you and your own mental health, I guess?
1: Well, when I was at the bar, because I was at the bar for 16 years and then I left and I became an ombudsman. So I was an ombudsman uh-huh. for, for defence. I, I lived in the Cayman Islands for five years and I was an ombudsman there. Um, I, I, but when, certainly when I was at the bar, it was people, If if you had any sort of I would even say a mental health crisis, if you were just having a difficult time, it yeah. might be, even if, it, uh, and heaven help you, if it was a full-blown crisis like depression or something, but if you were having a difficult time because of the dog dog nature of the bar, you didn't want to tell people. You didn't want to let people yeah. think you just crack up if you if you didn't have a case or you you, you just didn't want people to, to know that. So, and sadly, you know that there's a big um, wellness at the bar at the moment, but that really started because of the deaths by suicide of of three at least that I know of three barristers so um said it has a very sad genesis but at least people are now thinking about things like that so to myself when I was when I was at the bar I was terrible at it I really didn't look after myself properly and so if I I volunteer for speakers for schools and I like to go and talk to young people about you know the professions and, and and one of the things I tell them is whatever you do Always make sure that you have a a, a a good balance. You might not get an exact balance in your life, but your life has got to be about more than just work. It's got to be about other things that replenish you. So it, it could be anything. I mean, honestly, sometimes sometimes it's watching Judge Judy with a glass of prosecco and some cream. <laughs> uh, or, or or just like sitting back and reading. Yeah, and and not all not everything I read is highbrow. I have to tell you that mm. uh, it's a real mix of high and lowbrow, actually. Um, sometimes I, I, but I do like, I love going to the theater. In fact, um, I've just come back from New York and I saw two plays when I was there. Uh, Mm. One of which was Prima Facie*. Oh, I I love
0: that. I mean, you
1: could see it in real life. I beg your pardon, sorry. I
0: said, you got to see it. In person, because I yes. saw it in NT Live, because I yeah. love Jodie Comer, who yes. I'd love to invite onto this podcast.
1: Yes, I, I I saw it in real life and it was, I missed it in the, I missed it all around. I missed it in the theatre and I missed it on NT Live. And just when I went to the States, it opened the same day I was there. And I thought, this is a sign. So I've yes. got to go and get a, 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 a signal that it was once they won the awards the seats were very expensive but I thought I've got to go and see it and I'm so glad I did and Jodie Cove is absolute tour de force she really really is and what it talks about is very important to talk about and and there's they're doing a whole thing with showing it to teenagers and and issues around consent in the states as well so that I think is really good so I do like I love the theater I love music across the piece um uh, I I I like and not just because they're a diverse orchestra, so that does help, but Chineke, I think they are brilliant as an orchestra. But I but I like I like classical music, I love jazz, I love all sorts of stuff. Um long time ago I was engaged to a musician, so that's probably one reason, but but um <laughs> yeah, but I mean I I but all those things. I I and I love film, but I like to film on my own. I like to just go. To a nice cinema where you can get a glass of wine, and sit and watch, sit and watch maybe an old black and white movie or something like that. So, so it's a mixture of things. If I'm in a more introverted space, I like to just read, um go to the cinema on my own, sort of get out of my head. Sometimes go for really long walks, which I only started doing during the first lockdown when the weather was so yes. good. I started yeah. going for long walks in, and I explored my own neighborhood in a way that I'd never done before and so I still love doing that I just I, I really love doing that particularly if the weather is good or early in the morning and sometimes I just like to be with my friends and go out hang out still like to dance if I can I except you have to be you know I, I only go to age-appropriate places if I'm going to do that I don't want to be dancing with a whole bunch of kids so but, you know, or, or, or that's the, the different types of things um, but I, I, I always tell but this is something I've actually only learned as I got older. When I was young, I didn't have a handle on it at all. So I was just working work. Come to think of it, I probably had to pass 40 before I changed. Um, yeah. And I didn't realise it. I just didn't realise what I was doing. I was just working almost to the point of burnout. And um, so I would absolutely tell people, don't even get near to that. Just don't. Um, particularly yeah. if you're doing cases that are very challenging, like yeah. very challenging Um Cases involving children, for example, or yeah, very nasty murders or anything like that. You really need to. You've got to have some balance, otherwise, you, you, you know, you, you, you just you will break down. You really will. And yeah. and I think it's even now that I I I only in order to write, I knew if I was going to write full time, I'd have to give up something. And what I have given up is, I suppose. a a full-time practice uh, or working full-time in any other capacity. So I do a lot of sitting and I'm even with judges, I would say, I mean, I've not had this discussion with judges, but I think probably, especially with judges, you really need to have a good balance in your life, whatever that balance is, however you find that balance that is.
0: Fantastic. Well, we're coming to the end of the podcast, but before we finish, I want to ask you a a serious question.
1: Yes. uh, you and, mean the rest and, haven't been serious? I know, <laughs> no, no. I'm,
0: jo- yeah. I'm, jo- I'm joking in a way no, they're not being serious. But th- this yeah. question is about advice and guidance. You know, I'm trying to use my platform to make mm-hmm. sure that the, the women and the young people of all characteristics coming behind us have a slightly easier journey yes. in their career. Uh, and you've demonstrated, you know, the transferable skills that certainly in our branch of the profession can give you mm-hmm. in being a writer part-time judge you know it's been wonderful but i wonder what would you say to somebody starting out in their careers now um about getting into whether it's our sister profession solicitors or silex or, or or the bar you know have you got any advice or tips or guidance to a young person
1: a young person starting, it. so are you saying this person would be they've, they've done their degree and they're just about to start into the profession, that kind of age?
0: Well, yeah, or it's someone literally who's got pupillage and wondering how to okay. manipulate um, the the profession. Maybe they're from you know a background where they don't know any lawyers, like I was, and didn't know
1: anything. OK, well, I, well, the first thing I would do is congratulate them even for getting that far, because if I think back to them and, and, you know, I would like to think this has changed. I sincerely hope it has. But my own careers teacher, when I was doing A-levels, told me not to even think about going to university and I should go and work in Woolworths. Um. Yeah, she did. Yeah. And, I, and I, I say that with no fear of contradiction, because that's exactly what she did. And uh, it was actually kind of funny because Later on, when I was doing my degree, she saw me working at a a shop in Croydon just like in the summer. And she came up to me and she said, oh, I'm so happy you found something that suited your talents. (laughs) I said, well, actually, I'm at the end of my first year of my law degree. And she just sort of disappeared off into the corner, very red in the face. And I never saw her again. So so I would say at least the person who's gotten to pupillage has gotten past, not the worst, actually, but you've passed a big hurdle because it was difficult getting pupillage. When I came to the bar, and I know the competition is even fiercer now. And then you've got, you know, everything that led to the barrister so strike, um, COVID, all those a lot of people leaving the bar, which is a real shame. I would say um, work-life balance, and and it's not just a phrase; it's something you really should do. Whatever your thing is, just make sure you have it in 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 your life, um, and realize this is a um, it's a marathon, not a sprint. If you really want to have a, a long term career, you need to um, think about that. And I suppose I say particularly for women, I would say that if you want to if you want to have a family, particularly with the bar being a kind of um, like an exciting, but sometimes a little bit precarious career in a way. You have yeah. to really work out when you, you basically have to plan your life. So you have to work out if, for example, you know, by let's say, for example, you know, by the age of 30, you want to either have started your family or you're with the person that you want to start a family with. Then if you're getting your pupilage at sort of 22-ish, you know, you've got eight to 10 years in order to try and build up your practice, plus set things in train so that you can have the family life that you want, as well as the career that you want. And I think sometimes you can not deliberately forget those things, but I think that the bar is you can get so focused on, like with, like with lots of things, you can get so focused on one thing that you can take your eye off the wall for something else. And for women, you have to think more spherically. So you have to have your yes. eye on both. And that's, of course, if you if you want to do that. Some women don't want to do that. Some women don't think that by 30, they have no interest in kids. And then who knows? A lot can happen between 30 and 40. So, you know, uh, it's, a, it's, but it's just taking for both men and women, I would say, but probably slightly more for women. Remember, it's your whole life that you're thinking about, not just your professional life.
0: Yes, I love that. I mean, what a wonderful place um, to kind of pause. Mm. And and might I ask you this, what about advice and tips? You've already alluded to this Um, for, again, maybe especially women, but Mm -hmm. people who are at their kind of, you know, 10, 12 years call of their career thinking, You know, should I think about a non-exec role, chairing a board, chairing a trustee, maybe go and work in the Cayman Islands for five years? <laughs> Yeah. Well, what advice yeah. is there? apart from just do it, which we can't mm-hmm. coin from, you know, Nike. Yeah. We definitely it.
1: can't because Nike will come after us, actually. Yeah, so well, yeah. But, but,
0: but, you know, on a serious note, sometimes, you know, we've been through a pandemic. It's been a difficult couple of years. Yeah. Um, yes. Many of us practicing, you know, I've got three children. Mm-hmm. I'm in court. Uh, you know, I have to do, I'm now sitting. There's a lot mm-hmm. going on. And yeah. I just wonder if you had any um again, uh, tips and advice or guidance for those kind of women who are thinking about the next stage?
1: Well, again, I would congratulate them on at least thinking about it because you need. I'm a big believer in planning. And I would say this to people at any age, including the A-level students if I go into schools and talk to them. You should have a plan, but be prepared to pivot from your plan. So for example, my plan was always to just stay at the bar and at some point either become a a recorder or a or a KC or both you know but that was but it was to stay at the bar and not leave and then I ended up leaving uh, because I was approached about another job which actually sounded really interesting and although it was a bit strange to leave I'm really glad that I had the courage to take that pivot and then when the Cayman Islands job came up um, that was that was a real leap in the dark because it sounded interesting, but I didn't know a soul in the Cayman Islands at all. So I thought, well, you know, if it if you know if it doesn't work out, I can come back after a year. But I didn't know. And then my dad died seven months in. So the the real pressure was to come back. Well, not pressure external pressure, but more of an internal pressure. But yes. um, I I my father and I we were really close, and I, I know he would have wanted me to stay at least a year. In Cayman. So I did. And then it got a bit better and it got a bit better. And people started coming out to visit me. But to your question, I would say it's um, like that. Have a plan. So I would like to think that someone by the time they got to that midpoint in their career. So they'd be about mid 30s ish that they would early to mid 30s that they already have a plan, which is why they got there. And but but have a if you like a plan A and a plan B. So you might be thinking, oh, you know, I I, I think I, I want to take silk or or actually I want to ease up from my full time practice because I want to start a family or just because I the one thing that the pandemic has made people realize is that work doesn't have to be the way it used to be. So you yes. don't actually need to have uh, what would have deemed to be in the past an excuse of, I want to spend more time with my family. Now you can just think, you know what, life is short. And if the pandemic taught us nothing else, it's that. And really, I just want a little bit more time, a little bit more space to stop and smell the roses. And if if it works out financially for you, you can do it, then I would say, "If, if that's your plan, then you should do that. But always have a plan, because if you've got a plan, you can go away from it and come back to it, or the plan can change. But I, I would advise you I would advise anybody at this point not to be just drifting and see where life takes them, because it mightn't take you where you want. It might take you down a blind alley, which is not where you want to be. So
0: Yes, quite. Oh, I love that. I'm writing it down. I think we could all okay. use some of this. Yeah. Thank Nicola you. Williams' advice. Now, um I Maybe I, I should I'm...
1: write a book about this, actually. <laughs>
0: Yes, never mind yeah. your fictional, you know, legal thrillers. Uh, I'll, t- I'll tell Ayo, come on, we've moved on now from legal thrillers, which you're always re- reviewing, uh, Ayo yeah. and Hardy. Um, yes. I wonder what's next then, you know, you introvert, as you described Ooh. yourself. What? What's next? Is it going up into a full-time circuit judge role? Is it more books? Is it... Or is it all of those things? What's next for Nicola Williams?
1: Well, I never rule any of those things out. I will say that, right, I have been approached about uh, many times before now about a full time position because I've been recorded after 13 years, and I I know that I couldn't be a, a full time judge and write. I just, I don't even know if judicial sec would allow that, but but I also wouldn't have the time to do it. What it takes to be a, a full-time and right I, I couldn't do it the other thing is I think because when I was younger at the bar I didn't get that work-life balancing um right I think yes. and I suppose what I want to do particularly post-pandemic I want to get that right I I want I always want to, I, I will be one of these people who'll be working till a dying day because I like yes. to work I really do I like to have my mind um engaged and I I, yes, I really like too. that but but yes. I I but I always knew, I mean, a turning point for me was, I think it was probably like the year before the pandemic when I was the service complaints ombudsman for Her Majesty's Armed Forces. And then I was the highest ranking person of color, period, let alone black person in UK defense at that time. And wow. but but I, I still had to travel it on the train like everybody else. So I remember going in on a winter's morning to London, Bridge, or walking across the bridge to get to my office. And I thought, I don't, the idea of of strap hanging for the rest of my life i can't when no one will give you a seat and your back's hurting and all i said i i I said whatever i do when the pandemic happened and i really had to think about my life going forward i thought one thing i don't want to do is that again which means i'm going to have to really start rethinking my life and how i my working life and how i wanted to go and also i want to leave time for people time for like downtime in in between which as i say when when you're on, particularly when you're on the way up at the bar, that first 10, 15 years, that is just a grind. And, you you know, you can be quite, maybe, maybe it was just me, but I know it's possible to be the person who has to cancel things last minute with friends or because you've got a brief to prepare or something. Yeah. Like that. I, yeah. I, I wanted to be the person who didn't do that anymore. The person who just had a bit more time to enjoy life on a regular basis, not just when I went on holiday. So so it, it it really was looking at my life in a very different way. So I think it it will my life, my working life will always have books in it, and maybe even a non-fiction book about I don't know the world according to Nicola Williams, maybe. Um but it it'll have um books in it and it will have the law in it because I really do love the law. Um, I don't want the balance that I have now as a recorder and an author is probably the happiest that I've been in my working life. And also you mentioned Ned Rolls and I I, I do sit on a on some boards and that is still a new thing for me. I'm still trying to, you know, none of them I've had longer than. Three years, three to five years. So that's still yeah. quite a new thing for me, trying to get used to that. But I, I like the the flexibility all that builds in. You have to be very good at your time management and all the rest of it. But I love the flexibility of that. So I I, I really like the flexibility and choice. That's what I've got now, and that's what I want to have going forward. Amazing. And also to be able to advise people, um, people more junior coming up in the profession or just younger people generally, even if they're not going to be lawyers, um, just to give them the benefit of my advice. And maybe I, I, I know that there would have been, I would have loved to have had sort of real world advice from people who looked like me in my profession when I was coming up. And there were people, it wasn't that there wasn't, but everyone was so not unfriendly, but they kind of head down and, everyone was, it, it It felt very precarious for all of us. So I think going forward, I would very much like to be that for younger people. Amazing. For sure.
0: amazing. Well, Nicola Williams, it's been uh, uh, wonderful talking to you on Talking Law by your career and you. wonderful to get your advice and views and hear about um, being an author and mm. just wonderful to see where the transferable skills are from starting out life as a barrister to such a wonderful career that um, you're still having. Um, So thank you for spending time being interviewed by me on Talking Law.
1: Thank you very much, Sally, again, it has been a joy. I listen to your podcast all the time, so.
0: Oh, gosh. (laughs) Thank you to Nicola for telling me all about her career and life in law and outside of it and as an author. I'm delighted to share with you the annual Empowering You conference, which has been held on the 17th November 2023 at DLA Piper in Manchester. You can now book tickets through our website at womeninthelawuk.com. The Women in the Law UK annual dinner will now be held on the 7th of March 2024 in Manchester with a special guest, Baroness Hale of Richmond. If you'd like to support the Talking Law podcast, then please do get in touch. You can also write reviews about episodes of the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you hear and listen to your podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, at SallyPenny1, on Instagram, SJSallyPenny, and on LinkedIn, typing in SallyPennyMBE. You can now catch up on over 76 previous episodes and seasons of Talking Law, with plenty for you to have a listen to, with guests including Barrister and Celebrity Quizzer, from The Chase, Dr. Sean Wallace, activist Gina Miller, former president of Law Society, Christina Blacklaws, and I, Stephanie Boyce, and so many more. Thank you so much to our production team at Purposeful Podcast. I'm Sally Penny, MBE. Bye for now.